Our scripture lesson as we continue this series, Home by a Different Road, is from Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. This is the gospel reading for the lectionary for today. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. The season of Epiphany continues to unfold, and hopefully, we are at least considering traveling on some different roads, enjoying the journey as we all make our way home. Recall that the word epiphany means to show forth, to reveal, to draw back the curtains, to see what God has in store. Three weeks ago, we began this with the story of the wise men, the visit of the Magi. The three kings is what the hymn writer called these folks. After bowing down before the Christ child, they returned to their home by a different road. Happens every time we get close to Jesus the Christ, doesn't it? We put our feet on a different road. Two weeks ago, we considered the baptism of Jesus, an action that set his feet on the service road. That road doesn't always go through the best parts of town. Sometimes it goes through the old, worn-out, industrial, dirty, grimy parts of town, the frightening parts of town. Last week, we gave some thought to interstate highways and the back roads. To take the interstate or the bypass causes us to miss so much. Why, we might have missed the little village of Canaan, Galilee, if we'd stayed on the interstate. A village where Jesus performed the miracle of water and the wine and showed us the abundance of God and God's ability to transform human lives for the better. That brings us to today. And today, some notions about the Holy Spirit as our GPS, our global positioning system, a technological innovation that often influences the roads we take and the roads we don't take. GPS, somebody has come up with a list of what those initials might stand for as a matter of faith. And let me share a few of those with you. You've probably seen, heard this list. GPS, God provides solutions, God's plan of salvation, God's plan for significance, God's perfect sight, God's parenting system, 
God's promised solutions, God's protection service, and God's positioning system. For our purposes today, we'll stick with that latter interpretation. Our text for today begins with these words. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee. The Spirit empowering the Son. Maybe this is not the time, it's the place, but maybe not the time to explore our Trinitarian theology to any great extent. But the question, the mystery always remains. For our purposes today, I want us to think in terms of the humanity of Jesus being driven or directed by the divinity of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to preach and to teach in their synagogues, and he was praised by everyone. Hold that thought for just a moment. He was praised by everyone. How long will that last? Probably until next week's sermon, maybe. The remainder of the passage speaks about Jesus returning to his hometown, which would be Nazareth, and preaching and teaching in the local synagogue. And I want us to think for just a minute about what a synagogue was and the role that it played in Judaism of that day. The late Dr. Fred Craddock, who probably was a teacher who influenced me more than any other, would remind us of this fact. All that Jesus says and does is well within the heart of Judaism. His faithfulness, Jesus affirms the Sabbath, he affirms the scriptures, he affirms the synagogue. He not only attends synagogue services regularly, but he participates in the service, as all adult males were allowed to do by reading the scripture and commenting on it. The synagogue services were rather informal in that day. I think maybe something like Sunday night services used to be in the church where I grew up. And maybe some of you remember Sunday nights too. Very informal time of prayers and scripture and comments and maybe an offering. The institution of Judaism arose during the exile as a temple substitute. There was no altar, there was no priest in the synagogue as there was in the temple. Led by the laity, the Pharisees were the most prominent group among them. The synagogue became the institutional center of a religion of the book and not of the altar so much, not of the sacrificial system as it was in the temple. And in time became and remains today the dominant form of Judaism. While there was only one temple, synagogues arose everywhere. Wherever ten adult males decided to get together and form a synagogue, they were allowed and encouraged, I believe, to do that. The synagogue was not only a place of worship, it was a community center, it was a schoolhouse, it was used for a lot of different things, and sometimes even used for a courthouse if there were no place for that to happen in the community. Among relatives and among friends, Jesus in the synagogue is very much at home. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as his custom was. In other words, he showed up out of habit. There have been times and occasions when church folks have been criticized for showing up every Sunday. I've heard folks say, well, they only go out of habit. And I, my response to that is, so? 
What is the problem with that? Our lives are shaped by our habits, good habits and bad habits. Our lives are shaped by that. What a marvelous habit. What a life-changing custom to cultivate. Jesus went to the synagogue on the holy day. It was his custom. That sounds like a good thing to me. Jesus stood to read as was customary. He would sit down while he talked. A little different from the way we do things now. Although we don't know exactly what transpired in the worship of a Jewish synagogue, we've got some pretty good ideas. The following elements. The Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one. The recitation of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Readings and prayers from the Psalms and teaching of what these scripture lessons meant. How they impacted the people. Various people might have been asked to lead in the reading and in the praying. The Hazan or the assistant would have handed Jesus the scroll. And by the first century, there was a cycle of lessons that they read through. And the prophets later became a part of that. And this is probably where our lectionary, where our scripture readings that we pick and use for most Sundays, where it all originated in in the Jewish synagogue so many centuries ago. Luke's description of Jesus finding the place where the verse is quoted in Isaiah probably means that Jesus himself chose this passage. It wasn't necessarily just one that was appointed for that Sunday, but he chose this passage for an important reason. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. It's interesting to me that in Luke's gospel, the heart that Jesus had for the poor is so much more evident. Matthew would say the poor in spirit. Good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do we have available to us the same GPS, the same God's positioning system that Jesus had available to him. And if so, I want us to think for just a little bit about how that system works, how we find direction from God's positioning system in our lives. Let's think about some things maybe that it does not do. Does God's positioning system, does God's GPS shout at us? Wrong turn, you fool. Don't you understand English? Are you hearing impaired? Recalculating. I don't know if they, I don't think they still say that anymore, but they did for a while. Most of us would disconnect such a system, wouldn't we? We don't have to put up with that kind of verbal abuse. We would at least mute the audio. We don't have to tolerate that. Maybe it doesn't shout at us. Maybe God's positioning system holds up a sign, 35 miles to Nazareth. But too big of a sign blocks our view, and driving down the road when you can't see is seldom a good idea. Shouting at us, holding up a sign. What if God's positioning system takes over the steering wheel? And I can't mention this without thinking about the song. I believe it's Carrie Underwood, Jesus Take the Wheel. You know the song. It has to do with a woman whose life is spinning out of control because of some poor choices that she's made. And she is prayerfully pleading for Jesus to take the wheel and to steer her away from the danger and the hurt in her life. But what if the GPS, technologically advanced as it is, what if it becomes demonic? Do we really want to relinquish all control 
And this is not the time to talk about it, but I'm still having to get my mind wrapped around this concept of a driverless car. Um, I've seen some cars driven like they were driverless, but that's that's another story. Does this G positioning, this God positioning system, the Holy Spirit, maybe it directs us in ways that are more in keeping with the all-encompassing and inclusive love of a gracious God. Does our GPS come across as a directing force, a guiding light, a reassuring something that we can trust and know that he's not going to take us where we don't need to go and he's not going to run us off the road and we're not going to harm other folk? The Holy Spirit does not shout at us, does it? It seems more likely to me, and it's been my experience, that the Holy Spirit whispers or nudges us. You know that story from the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. Elijah was hiding out in a cave on Mount Horeb from Queen Jezebel and her minions. They were after him because he had been part and parcel of destroying some of the prophets of Baal, some of her henchmen. And so he was hiding out. And the word of the Lord, the Spirit, came to Elijah and said, you need to get out of this cave. And Elijah's standing on the mountainside, outside the cave. I can picture him on a small ledge. And the Spirit of the Lord is evident, but not in ways we might think. There was a great wind. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. But God wasn't in any of those things. When we talk about something being of biblical proportions, we need to remember it's not always earth-shaking like that. But after all that other stuff happened, a still, small voice, or as one version of Scripture says, the sound of sheer silence, a nudge, a whisper, and Elijah got it. The Spirit does not shout at us, and it does not hold up a large sign printed in our primary language that we might be distracted and our view might be blocked. In preparation for the upcoming Lenten season, and we began on Wednesday, March the 6th, Ash Wednesday, I've been reading a book by a guy named Eric Elms, and it's called Gifts of the Dark Wood. And in that book, he writes about some of the ways that the Spirit guides us without holding up a sign, without shouting at us. He said our journey is never a straight line between one point and another, even if we are paying attention to our sweet spot moments. The path zigs and zags. Sometimes it takes us in the opposite direction of what we were expecting. Sometimes we have to change planes to get to where we need to go. Other times we need to stay on the same plane and trust that it will eventually move in such a way that it will take us in a new direction. Sometimes, he says, we need to get off the plane altogether and choose another mode of transportation. We would probably be fine with all of these twists and turns, he said, if we had an itinerary. If we knew exactly where we were going and when we were going to get there and what things were going to be like when we got there. You know how we like to have this stuff all figured out but God seems to have forgotten about that itinerary part of the deal hasn't he instead at each point where the journey tends to take a turn we often end up feeling like we're lost continuing he said in my own journey this feeling of being lost prompts me to pay more attention to the signals that the Holy Spirit sends me I I pray and meditate with greater attention 
I pay more attention to my gut intuitions and my bodily responses. I apply reason and logic more carefully, even while trusting that sometimes the direction God calls me in defies reason and defies logic. I don't always get it right, he says. Who does? Sometimes I have to reassess and backtrack and try it all over again to get the next step right. The point is, even if I get it wrong sometimes, I would be completely off course in the zigzag path of life if I didn't experience regular periods of paying attention to what God is saying to me and what God is calling me to do. He speaks of signals, not signs. But you can't have the word signal without the word sign in it, can you? In my mind, it's a matter of size. Signs are of a sufficient size that it's hard to miss them. They're just out there for everybody to see. Signals can be small and subtle and easily missed by folks who are too busy or too easily distracted. I believe the Spirit most often operates in the realm of signals. Shouting at us? No. Holding up a ginormous sign? No. Prying our hands off of the steering wheel against our will? No. I don't believe so. God's positioning system, strong yet gentle hands, placed over our hands or beside our hands, respecting our autonomy, all the while keeping us on the road that leads to God's preferred destiny for us a place of loving inclusiveness and sacrificial service. Jesus, take the will. I mentioned the song earlier. Eric Allen has a story that, that intrigued me about a single mom who was asking for God's help in the midst of a financial crisis. She had become discouraged by God's apparent silence. But as he dug into the story more deeply, this mom acknowledged that she did get asked to interview for a job that she'd been hoping for. And yes, her ex-husband had suddenly sent a child support check after three years. She also recently figured out that she could save $100 a month if she would just quit buying cigarettes. And her five-year-old surprised her by wrapping his arms around her, telling her how dearly he loves her, and giving her a kiss on the cheek. He never does that, she said. God wasn't silent, was he? I know it's impossible to say with certainty that the Holy Spirit was behind any of these incidents, of course. Each could be explained by entirely natural coincidences or things that happen in people's lives without divine intervention. But who says that the movement of the Spirit has always got to be some mysterious, strange, even weird kind of thing? Can't God's Spirit, God's positioning system for us sometimes occur through natural events, circumstances, everyday kind of things in my life and yours? Now back to the gospel lesson. I'll see if I can bring this in for some kind of a safe landing. Jesus guided by the Spirit, God's positioning system led him back to the region of the Galilee, specifically to Nazareth, more specifically to the synagogue in Nazareth. At the time, he was riding a wave of popularity. It wouldn't last, but at the time, he was. 
And in the synagogue, he chose to read from the book or the scroll of the prophet Isaiah words that would define his ministry throughout his life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. God's positioning system will guide and direct all of his thoughts and all of his actions while he was here with us. The passage ends with Jesus saying, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's interesting to me that the first word that he spoke in Luke's gospel after reading scripture was the word today. Today. What better time to consider the road we're on and the roads we would like to travel? What better time to open ourselves anew to God's positioning system in our lives? And in the life of God's church. And that GPS is not an optional piece of equipment for any of us. You can't leave it off and save a little money. It's not optional. God's positioning system is not for any of us who would seek to do God's will. To carry on in his name. And to carry out the mission that he's given to us as his church. A mission of proclaiming good news. Release. Recovery. Sight. And hope for most of us, if we're being honest, all of that is going to involve just a little bit or a lot of recalculating. Amen.